Well, we started a series seven weeks ago entitled Mind Mods. If you're new to church or new to faith church, we teach in series, which means we take a topic and we unpack it and we talk about it for several weeks to get kind of a total perspective on that subject. And so generally it's only four weeks, but man, this is such a big topic. We want to spend the appropriate amount of time talking about it. Mind mods is this idea of mind modifications. That as we go through life, as we progress, as we grow, especially when it comes to our spiritual journey, a lot of that has to do with changing the way you think, our minds literally being modified. And so through this series, we have taken some popular cultural catchphrases, and we've leaned into what God's word has to say about them. And through this series, we've talked about things like change your mind, blow your mind. Last week, we talked about with the end in mind. Today, I want to conclude this series with this idea of being open-minded, Everybody say open-minded. I think probably, again, all of us have heard that phrase. Again, it's popular in culture, but what does it really mean to be open-minded? Open-minded, I think, is this idea where you give consideration or imagination to something that at one point in your life was off limits, that you begin to consider a certain possibility. It's this idea that maybe sometimes our, our preferences or our prejudices hold us back from personal benefit. That there's something that at one time in our life we would never consider thinking that or considering that, but we decided to be more open-minded. And being open-minded allow us to experience something like, for example, I mean, I think this is really simple, something that all of us can agree with, that at some point in life, all of us are closed-minded to food. I mean, think about it as a kid. Some of you have kids. You know, we say things like this, I don't like anything green. I mean, that's kind of broad. Like the, the diet of a five-year-old, you know, it's macaroni and cheese and Happy Meals. And they don't like anything else. They're closed-minded. And probably all of us in this room or in Lawrenceburg, as we've grown through life, are, we've become more open-minded to things. And now we're eating things or trying things at one time we never thought we would like. There's a, recently an Indian restaurant that opened across the restaurant. And I'm having conversations. I've not yet eaten there, but I've heard people say, I don't even like Indian food. Really? Have you ever tried it? No, I've never even tried it. Well, how do you know you don't like it if you, come on, how do you know you don't like it if you've never even tried it. Again, it's, it's this idea that we're closed-minded, and when you expand the possibilities, when you get beyond, a lot of us are living with ceilings and obstacles, and you'd be shocked at who you are, what you could accomplish, what you could do when we begin to think outside of the box, and we're a little more open-minded. Everybody say open-minded. Open-minded is really a big concept when it comes to our faith. We become open-minded to who God is, about his presence and his power in our life. That's what faith really is, is to begin to believe more, begin to trust more. And so open-minded is an incredibly positive concept. But I think if we're honest, the opposite is true. I think, unfortunately, you can be too open-minded. I mean, you live too open-minded, you're not careful about what you think, that anybody can come along and plant a thought in your mind. Anybody can come along and begin to define you if you believe what they say. We can be too open-minded about the world we live in, too embracing of the culture that's around us, too open-minded about what we think of ourselves. So while on one hand, while being open-minded is incredibly powerful, being too open-minded is incredibly dangerous. Here's what we're going to talk about today if you're taking notes, that persistent thoughts determine the path of your life. I don't mean those thoughts that spring up every now and then, but I, th I mean for all of us in this room and all of you in Lawrenceburg, the things that you continue to process those thoughts that continue to take dominance in your mind and out throughout your day, those things are determining your path in life. What rules in your head determines the direction of your life. 
The way God's word says it is this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you don't have to take my word for it. I'm, I'm quoting scripture and Maybe you're not sure about the religion side of things, but let's kind of think broader than that. You don't have to take my word. You can talk to people way outside of religion, and they would back up the exact same thing that I'm saying, that again, persistent thoughts determine the path of your life. You can talk to neurologists, therapists, psychologists, sociologists, and they'll talk about the neural pathways that are created in our minds. That is, we think a certain thought about ourselves, about our experiences, that the more you think that thought, it creates a natural neural pathway in your mind, and then it's just easier to think that way next time. The good news is that our minds have something called neuroplasticity, that God can literally change the way you think about who he is and about who you are. Come on. And in order for that to happen, some of us, man, we got to be a little more open-minded to some stuff, and we need to be a little more closed-minded to some stuff. So again, the potential of this idea of us beginning to embrace the reality of how important what we think is. Because this is such a big topic, you would be right if you think, does God have a lot to say about this? He does. In fact, throughout this series, we spent a lot of time talking about what's in our mind. Today, I want to look at a section of scripture that is probably synonymous with this conversation of what is it that's in our minds and how it determines how we behave and how it's attached to what we think. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have an electronic device, and it'll be up on the screen. I would love for us just to read this together. Come on, everybody here in Florence, everybody in Lawrence, let's lift one voice together as we read God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, the apostle Paul gives us a strategy to how to deal with what we think. Here's what he says. For though we live in the world, come on, every voice, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Come on, every voice. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you catch the serious tone that the Apostle Paul uses in his verbiage of how we deal with our minds? Now, he's not talking about, he's not talking about flowers and butterflies. Listen to the words he uses about how we manage our minds. He uses words like wage war, demolish strongholds, take captive. It's this idea, here's where we're going to go with this, is that I think we should be, have an attitude of aggression towards what has our attention. That we should be really cautious about what we allow in our minds. I don't know about you, but I think I can speak for myself and Say sometimes, and I think this is probably true for a lot of us, I think sometimes we're not aggressive. I think sometimes we're probably pretty apathetic about what we allow ourselves to think. I think a lot of us probably display a, a pretty strong level of passivity about managing our thought life. Like, we're not really careful what we think. We just, like, thoughts pop in our head. We, we give things our attention, our time, our focus. We consider things, and, like, we're just not cautious. We're not careful. And because we're not careful with what gets in our mind, what we consider, what we think about, that's why some of us are where we are. You are today where your thoughts decided you would be, and you're going to be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, because your thoughts are so powerful, because our thoughts are so profound in driving our life, then we need to be aggressive, not passive, not apathetic. We need to be aggressive. Come on, everybody say aggressive. We need to be aggressive with managing, with managing our thoughts. Has anybody here ever had, or in Lawrenceburg, have you ever had a, a guest in your house that was not a very gracious guest? Not a very gracious guest. 
I've heard my parents tell this story. I don't think I was alive at the time. If I, if I was, I was too young to remember it. But I've heard the story rehashed so many times that it's, it's like I was there. My parents tell the story about at one point when we were a young family that my mom's second cousin from Kansas, that always seems to play an important point in the story. <laughs> Say what you will about people from Kansas. Um, but my mom's second cousin from Kansas came to town. And came to town and was looking for a place to stay. And so my parents, my mom especially, opened up our home. And uh, here my parents tell the story like, you know, this guy just was very un an ungracious guest, kind of violated all of the boundaries we had. Like we grew up in a house, you don't put, you're like, we didn't have to take our shoes coming off in the house, but like you don't put your feet on the furniture. And this guy wasn't just shoes, it was dirty boots. And he would put them on the furniture, and my parents graciously gave up their bedroom while they were there. And not only did they sleep in their bed, but this guy allowed his dog to sleep in my dad's bed. <laughs> now, again, I know everybody has different perspectives on animals, and, you know, some of you are cat people, and some of you are Christian people. <laughs> I'm just telling you, the gospel of Disney says all dogs go to heaven. That's all I'm going to say about that. But some of you let cats on your counter, and that's okay. That's your house. But in the house I grew up in, dogs were on the floor and people were on the furniture. And so to hear about my dad recount that story of that visit, not only was he there, not only did he violate all these boundaries, but he stayed way too long. My dad tells his story and you can watch his blood pressure rise. But here's the point. He'll say this. He'll say this as he recounts his story. He'll say, if I had it to do over again. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it would go. I don't know what would happen. It probably wouldn't be good. But his point is, you know, as I think back, I allowed this person in my house and he violated all these boundaries and I didn't really say anything. And I think for us, I think a lot of times the thoughts we think are a lot like the guests we invite into our home, that you invited them in because you didn't think it'd be a big deal. But once they came in, they started violating boundaries. And I'm just telling you, at some point you have to stand up for your, for your domain. You got to set some boundaries in place. And this is what the apostle Paul is saying is that there's thoughts that have come into your head. And maybe, maybe you participated in, in evaluating them and considering them like, what about this girl or this job or this path or this sexuality or this lifestyle? And once it got in, it started to disrupt things and it was really unhealthy for you. And he says, if you want to take, go to a different place, you got to set some boundaries. You got to be aggressive with your thought life. Now, if we know that's true with guests, the people we invited in and it went sideways, what about the, th what about the thoughts that come in that we didn't invite, they just showed up? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever have a thought you were shocked that you thought the thought? Yeah. You were... You you were shocked by what you had the capacity to think about, things that jumped in your mind. But again, it's not just those. It's those ones that keep cycling through. It's the ones that keep showing up. It's the thoughts we continue to dwell on. And here's what's crazy is think about how consistently and passionately we protect our stuff. We protect everything, don't we? I mean, we lock our cars. We lock our homes. I don't give access to my property to just anybody. If you're questionable, you're not getting in my house. You have to have a key. You have to have a code. I don't allow just anybody to access my banking information. If I go onto a website, it has to look like a reputable website before I put my information in. My computer, I just don't download any software or app to my stuff. I'm an Apple person, by the way, in case you wondered. Only Christian, Christian people are app, Apple people. That's, <laughs> if you're not an Apple person, give your life to Jesus. You'll convert. 
But how many people here, before you download something, you got to put in, come on, you got to put in a thumbprint. You got to put in something. You got to put in a face, face rec, facial recognition. You got to put in a passcode. Why? Because you care about your computer. You care about your product. You care about your home. You protect those things. What's crazy is we are so passionate about protecting our property, and we let our mind just wander. And at some point, you have to understand that our mind is more valuable and vulnerable than anything else. And so the Apostle Paul says, get a aggressive about guarding your mind. Be careful about what you allow in. Be careful with what you allow to stay because the persistent thoughts in your mind are determining the path of your life. What you thought yesterday has determined where you are today. What you're thinking today will determine where you go tomorrow. And so it's a big idea. Again, all of us in this room, I think we've had conversations like this. We know this is true. And so with this conversation, the Apostle Paul goes on. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. And his conversation is really about anger, but it's broader than that. He makes this statement. He says, and don't give place to the devil. Don't give, a, don't give the devil a place to operate in your life. Literally, the word he's talking about is mental real estate. You wouldn't let the devil come live in your guest room, would you? You wouldn't let him show up in your mother-in-law suite, would you? Well, that's one in this. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Mom. I love you. I got a good mother-in-law. He's saying, he's saying, listen to me. He's saying you manage everything else. You try to manage your money and you try to manage your time. He's saying at some point you need to manage the mental real estate that God has given you. And one of the ways we manage our mental real estate is not to give the enemy a place in our mind to think unhealthy, critical thoughts about who we are and about who God is. Get aggressive about guarding your mind. Come on, somebody. And we're really passive. We just go through our day and thoughts pop in. And we continue to regurgitate the same thoughts in our head. And we wonder why we are where we are. You cannot live a peaceful life with chaotic thoughts. You cannot live a pure life with impure thoughts. You cannot live a purpose-filled life with self-critical thoughts. You can't live a positive life with negative thoughts. Our thoughts are defining and dictating and driving our life. And so the apostle Paul says, hey, be aggressive, wage war, demolish strongholds, take captive, get serious about the thoughts that are going on in your head. And so the question is this, okay, so if that's the strategy, how do we really do it? What's it look like? He goes on and he tells us, watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Read it with me. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everybody just say those two words. They have to demolish strongholds. If you're taking notes, the word is our weapon. He's saying the word has divine power. How do we combat? How do we deal with? How do we manage all of this stuff that's going on between our ears? He says the word is our weapon. I'm just curious. How many of you in this room or in Lawrenceburg, you are an extrovert personality? Like, you're the person, like, you'll walk into any conversation, and you'll be the first talker. Come on, wait at me. If you're an extrovert, where are my introverted people? Like, see, they're the people like, <laughs> you want me to One more time. Extroverts, wave your hand. Introverts, people just don't even care you're here. 
And here's what's crazy is I'm an extroverted personality. I love to talk, have a hard time shutting up. My job is to kind of be self-aware. It's important in today's society, you don't have a, just a, a high IQ, you have an I, a high EQ. Your eco, EQ is your emotional quotient, being aware of your presence in a room. And sometimes as an introvert, you've got to push yourself outside of boundaries. Sometimes as an extrovert, I've got to rein myself in. But think about this. At the end of the day, it is your personality that defines your external conversations. But it is your humanity that defines your internal conversations. Which means there's some of you in this room, based on your personality, you have a lot of external conversations. But because you're an introvert, some of you don't have many external conversations unless you're forced to. But here's what I know about every one of us in this room, because it's not about your personality, it's about your humanity, is all of us have exhaustive ongoing, internal conversations. You talk to yourself all day long. Some of you talk to yourself so much, it starts spilling out of your mouth. Does anybody else talk to themselves? But I want you to think about some of the things that we find ourselves thinking about. I think if we're honest, again, because we're sometimes apathetic instead of aggressive about managing our mind, isn't it true that typically our minds tend toward the negative? Yeah. I'm just going to be honest. For me, I don't generally naturally think positive. When I think about myself, if I think about my situation, sometimes even as I think about the context of God, sometimes my mind tends to bend towards the negative. I find myself in life, if I'm not careful and cautious, to do what the Apostle Paul saw. I find myself being very critical. I tend to bend towards despair instead of hope. I tend to be self-condemning instead of believing in myself. I tend to believe the worst about people around me rather than the best. I never drive down the road and be like, what a great driver. But on a regular basis, I'm like, what the heck is he doing? Does he know how to drive? Does he have a driver's license? I'm just telling you, I, I don't ever walk off this platform and think, go ahead, Pastor Steve, you crushed that message. I can walk out of this building and be like, that was horrible. I rambled for 30 minutes and people tolerated it. Nobody's coming back next week. Idiot. Stupid. <laughs> to not like what looks in the mirror. To allow things that people have said about you, even as a child, that still define you. Not because they said it, but because you continue to replay it, rewind, replay, rewind, replay. And so all of us in this room, again, we are self-talkers, and it's just the thoughts in our mind being regenerated, and we say them, we speak them. And it's not just about each other. It's not just about us. But oftentimes it's about God. God, where are you? God, do you care? God, how come you haven't shown up? And that is a reflection of the thoughts that we've allowed in. And the apostle Paul is saying, listen, you need to be careful and guard the real estate of your mind because what you're thinking is determining who you are and where you're going. And the way we wage war is we wage war with the word, which what the word does first and foremost is it's a filter. It's a filter. It defines what's in that needs to go. And as it's coming and knocking on our door, what we let in, what, what gets kicked out and what gets let in. That's what the filter does. That's what the filter does. 
He says this, 2 Corinthians 10, 15, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is the word of God. How do we know who God is through the word of God? How do we know who you are? When I say you, I mean you specifically, but us as humanity, who are you? Are you who this world says you are? Are you who your sexuality says you are? Are you who this culture says you are? Are you who your first grade teacher says you are? Are you who your football coach or, 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 or cheer coach? Are you who they say you are? Are you who, who God says you are? Like, I just choose to believe, and this is what Paul is saying, is the word is our filter. It's our weapon, and it filters what we should be thinking. And I am made in the image of God. I'm created by God for the glory of God with a purpose for God. And like, that's how I have to live. And when I start thinking I'm a nobody and I'm unimportant and I'm not valuable and I'm never amount to anything as long as I allow glass ceilings to remain over my head that people or my own self have imposed on me. I will never be who God's called or created me to be. But together, we can begin to self-talk in a different way as we speak what God says about who we are and about who he is. The knowledge of God is the word of God that reveals the living God. Come on. So we got to change. We got to change our self-talk. And again, the word of God is our filter. And so he goes on, he says this, check it out. Philippians 4.8 gives us some of the filter. He says, and now dear brothers and sisters, that's us. One final thing. I want us to read it together. Will you fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It says truth I know, I know. There's a phrase in our society, I don't know if you've heard it, your truth. Well, that's your truth. That's your perspective, I think, is more accurate. We all have different perspectives. That's fair. But there are not different, different truths. There's one truth. Jesus said, I'm it. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So if everybody has a truth, then my truth is subject just to what anybody else believes about me. But if I recognize there's only one truth, and that one truth wages war against all the other truths, and it's able to demolish strongholds that have been set up in my mind, glass ceilings and limitations to hold me back of my relationship with Christ and our purpose in Christ, then I'm always going to be never what God's created me to be. But if we'll, come on, if we'll get aggressive. I say get aggressive. Really be intentional. Start filtering what comes in. Start, start spending more time thinking about what you're thinking instead of processing it. Imagine how your life would change. Because the apostle Paul says, man, it's a big deal. Here's what's important, though. The word is not just a filter. It's a fighter. I love it because... Really what the Apostle Paul is saying, it's not just enough to think different because all of us have negative, critical self-talk. He's saying it's not enough just to try to change it. He's saying God's word has divine power. Everybody say those two words, divine power. There's something bigger than you and greater than you. It's God's divine power. It doesn't just, it doesn't just show us what we shouldn't believe. It doesn't just define it. It defeats it. God's word is divine power. It would be like Right, and standing in this corner, it's 66 books. It's a two-edged sword, living and active. Number one bestseller of all time, the Bible. Let's get ready to rumble. What do you fight your battles with? Isn't it true? Everybody's been on WebMD. 
There's 58 things that can be wrong with you. Number 58, you're okay. <laughs> Nobody ever lands on 58. We always land on number one. I'm going to be dead in a week. Because we are negative, critical, doubtful, discouraging self-talkers. We allow any random thought to come in and defeat us and discourage us. And Paul says those are strongholds. You know why? Because it has a stronghold on you. And the way you break the grip of a stronghold isn't in your strength. It's in divine power. See, this is why what we do is important. As we're getting back to the new normal, do I go to church? Do I not go to church? I'm not saying you have to be in the building. Our, our, our faith in Jesus is so much bigger than a building for a half hour on Sunday morning. If you're not here to watch online or at least some point get God's word, do you know why? Because it gives you the right truth. Something you, you can... You can compare your current truth with God's truth because that's how you know. Again, it says every, every argument against God, every pretense against God. So when you hear an argument about who you are or about who God is, you can hold it up to the truth and you can contrast it to the truth. That's what happens on Sunday mornings. We sit and we, we talk about truth together so we can hear God's truth and replace our truth out of the way with God's truth so we can walk out and think different and ultimately live different. But imagine if you just didn't do it on a Sunday. Imagine if you did it 24-7. I, I know it's exhausting. It's hard. But man, is it powerful. So it's not just a filter. It's a fighter. Here's what it does. Here's the contrast that we have. 1 John 3.20 is, is a verse. It says this. I want you to read with me. It says, for if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Let me tell you what he's talking about. How many people in this room or you in Lawrenceburg, how many have ever made a decision, you made a mistake, you went back and did it again, you, you can't get free of doing it again, and when you do the thing, think the thought, say the thing, you feel really incredibly, not just bad, but like you start to wonder, does God even still love me anymore? Is there anybody who would be honest enough? Like, if you're not, if you don't know this, this is one of the number one things that Christ followers, is, uh, we, we wrestle with. It's this idea of the assurance of our salvation. Now, if you do something that's contrary to God's word, you should feel conviction, but not condemnation. The difference between conviction and condemnation, conviction should change you. Condemnation wants to change God, and God doesn't change. He loves me all the way, all the time, and he loves you too. Go ahead, Pastor. That's, go ahead. That's good. But man, I said I would never say that again. Sometimes people, people will say, Pastor, we love when you share like what your struggles are. If I really shared my struggles, you'd be like, we don't want to know that much information. Whoa, Pastor. Again, this, this thing in us where we go back and I still struggle and I still wrestle and I still fall. And when it happens, this weight of the moment comes on and really sometimes, like I feel like a higher responsibility, so it's a greater weight. So when I mess up, it's a greater condemnation. Like you all are just regular people. I'm a paid Christian. So when I mess up, it's like, oh. (laughs) 
We got time. I got to tell you guys this. This has nothing to do really with the message. It's just funny. <laughs> so I, I hate country music. If you like country music, I love you. I just hate country music. But since we've moved down here, my whole family's on the country music kick, and I just, I'm about to get a new family. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> so we got to, I can tell some of you are bothered. Listen. So... <laughs> My family's out at the pool. We got a pool in our backyard. Everybody's out there listening to country music. And I'm actually in the house because I have to decide, do I want to be around my family? If I have to with country music, I choose not to. <laughs> so if I told you I hate country music. So I'm in, and I can hear it in the background. And <laughs> I hear this song come on. I thought I'd go to work, but then I got high. I mean, anybody know that song? It's like the, it's a totally not Christian song if you've not picked that up. Just so you know, I co-sign, there's no high like the most high. But it's playing for like 30 seconds, and I text my wife, you might want to turn that off. We have neighbors. And so they weren't really listening to it. The song started, and they couldn't turn it off, but they got off. But I'm like, our neighbors are going to think we are totally not Jesus lovers. <laughs> so even in that moment, I'm feeling condemnation. Has anybody ever felt condemnation before? Yeah. Ever feel like maybe God doesn't love you anymore? See, that's one of the thoughts that's a glass ceiling to you. That's one of the, that's one of the obstacles that keep us, because if you'll believe what you continue to think, God doesn't care, God doesn't love me, God's given up on me, I've messed up too much. That's our feelings. I want you to see God's facts, Romans 8.1. I want you to read with me. There is therefore now, come on, say it, say these two words, no condemnation. Say it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So either I can allow my thought life to revolve around how I feel, which often my heart condemns me, or I can choose to cast down that argument and put in place God's truth that says, no, there is no condemnation because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and Christ doesn't bring condemnation. Christ on the cross carried my condemnation so I don't have to. I'm his son. I'm forgiven. I'm justified and I belong to him. Come on, somebody. So he ends the conversation and he says this. He says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So again, he continues this conversation about being super aggressive with how we manage our thoughts. When a thought comes in, whether you invited it in, whether you entertained it, or whether it just showed up. That we just don't allow it to roam free. We just don't allow it to take up residence. We don't, we don't give up mental real estate to those kind of thoughts. But we manage them. How do we manage them? The strategy is aggressive. The weapon is the word. It's our filter and it's a fighter. And then he ends with this thought. He's like, hey, when you, when you picture a thought, when, it, when you recognize a thought, when you, when you identify the thought that doesn't belong, he says, what you do with it is you take it captive. You know what we do as a society when somebody is living outside of the cultural norms, the justice system steps in and takes that person off the streets and removes them from society and puts them in prison. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying, is when you recognize a thought is roaming around in your mind and it goes contrary to the culture of Christ, you don't just give up free reign. You just don't let it do it at once. You don't let it put dirty boots on your couch and sleep with a dog in your bed. You take it captive. You don't have a perfect marriage. There are no perfect spouses except mine. There are no perfect churches, no perfect worship sets, no perfect employers, no perfect employees. Some of you, the reason you live with so little peace is because you're expecting perfection from everybody. 
lower your, lower your bar for everybody else, raise your bar for yourself, and put the bar of God on the, in the heavens, and you'll be good. So take it, take it captive. The guy who discipled me when I was a young Christ follower took me under his wings and taught me some basics about the faith and God's word. And we had conversations about this very topic. Around 1991, 92. One of the things he used to say, he had several kind of go-tos. One, he said, regularly, I don't know if you've ever heard it, he would say this. He would say, you can't keep a bird from flying overhead, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. Again, these random thoughts pop up. A thought just pop in your head of lust, greed, criticism. Violence. Like just out of nowhere. He's saying you can't help it if a bird flies over it. But what we do have control over, what Paul tells us to get aggressive with, is when the thought shows up, we don't entertain it, tell it to have a seat and have a conversation with it and keep recycling. No, we recognize it based on the truth of God. It doesn't belong in my mind. I take it captive and I escort it out. And so here's the question I want to stand with. Are you taking thoughts captive or are you captive to your thoughts? I think if we're honest today, it's probably a lot of us, including myself, that at times we become captive to a thought. It just, man, it locks us down, it locks us down with fear, locks us down with discouragement, locks us down with limitation. It locks down God. And Paul says, if you are being held captive by thoughts, it's flipped upside down. It's backwards. Because as Christ followers, we have divine power. Will you say that with me one more time? We have divine power to take thoughts captive. Are you controlling your thoughts or are your thoughts controlling you? Because a big part of our journey hinges on the answer to that question. And so I just want to pray for you today. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for all of us, Lawrenceburg and Florence. If you're here and you just be honest enough to say, Pastor Steve, there's a, there's a thought or two that runs through my mind periodically, and I recognize it's not healthy, it's not helpful, it's holding me back. I want you to lift a hand real high. Maybe it's about you. Maybe it's about some people. Maybe it's about God. Come on, lift it up real high. I want to pray. I just believe in with you for divine power to show up right here in this moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that God helps us to understand and reflect on how important our thoughts are. And God, you just don't leave us in the place once we recognize we're unhealthy. You offer divine power. And so I pray over this room, I pray over Lawrenceburg, every stronghold that's falsely defining who you are and who God is, who your neighbor is, I pray in Jesus' name you will renew our minds and Father, you will set us free and give us the ability to walk out of this room to begin to manage aggressively the mental real estate between our ears. And Father, what's the persistent thoughts in our head will lead our life. So God, help us get to the destination you have for us. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody who agreed, said amen.